The Window on the World, an international press review by the European Democratic Party, bringing you weekly news and commentaries that matter. Welcome to the fourth episode of the second season of The Window on the World. Today is Friday, 16th of September, and in this podcast, we will hear the best editorials from around the world on the effects of inflation on consumer prices, the energy crisis and the ecological transition, and the economic crisis and young people. We'll start right away with the first series of editorials. Today's first editorial is about inflation and its effect on consumer prices. We begin with Dorothy Seams' editorial from the German newspaper The Welt. Too little, too late is the journalist's opinion about the measures put in place by the European Central Bank to deal with rising prices and the loss of purchasing power of the euro. No one needs a price index to know that the euro is dramatically losing purchasing power, Seams argued. According to the columnist, inflation creates a domino effect. Rising prices cause labor unions to react demanding higher wages. In turn, companies pass on rising costs to their consumers. And finally, politicians become inclined to suggest aid with ever-increasing spending programs. In this scenario, the ECB chairwoman, Christine Lagarde, waited too long before abandoning the ultra-loose monetary policy followed so far. And now, it will take years before the tightening impulse can have a dampening effect on prices. In conclusion, the link between excessive government debt and inflation continues to be ignored, and everything remains as it is, with inflation rising and governments continuing to waste money. Rising prices and the ECB's measures are also the subject of the next editorial. Let us now go to Spain to the El País newspaper. Economist Ramon Mateo Escobar is also critical of the European Bank, but for different reasons. According to the Spanish economist, raising interest rates will have effects on the real economy that will hurt lower incomes the most. In presenting his idea, Escobar proposes a parallel with the real estate bubble scenario. How should one proceed? by raising interest rates to make bank financing more expensive and discourage potential real estate investors, or by increasing property transfer taxes to discourage speculative transactions, states the columnist. Escobar goes on to explain that both measures will have a very similar effect on the housing market, but their consequences will be very different for the economy as a whole. Therefore, to limit the effects on lower incomes, The Economist proposes an income pact. This may not avoid the need to take monetary policy decisions, the editorial explains, but in conclusion, it could reduce their negative side effects. The last editorial of the day on this topic of inflation shifts the focus instead to consumer choices. Faced with rising prices, they seek to save money and limit the damage of inflation on their wallets. So writes Emmanuel Combe, a professor at Scheme Business School in the French newspaper Les Echos. The professor points out how low-cost brands, whether they be consumer goods or services, saw their profits increase over the summer. According to Combe, there are several main peculiarities that characterize low-cost products and services. First, the absence of all features that are not essential, such as cars' accessories, may be. 
In this case, for example, consumers prefer safety and reliability to avoid future maintenance expenses. In addition to a lower price than the competition, moreover, low-cost products are generally characterized by a standardization production process, which allows them to be mass-produced at low cost to the manufacturer. Low-cost products and services certainly do not inspire daydreaming with their minimalist promises and sometimes, as in the airline industry, it's questionable working practices, says Combe, who concludes, but in times of inflation, it clearly has a bright future with consumers. As we know, inflation is closely linked to the energy crisis caused by the war in Ukraine. And it is precisely the energy crisis and its relationship to climate change that today's next three editorials deal with. Limiting our dependence on fossil fuels in order to cope with the environmental and energy supply crisis is one of the main goals of the European Union. It may then come as a surprise to discover that it is the Union's own legislation that limits the action of states. This is what researchers Isabel Frank and Sophie Winkins point out in their editorial published in the Belgian newspaper Le Soir. The legislation they refer to in the editorial is the Energy Charter Treaty, or the ECT. This treaty restricts state actions because the arbitral tribunals of the ECT are above national legislation, human rights and other international treaties such as the Paris Climate Agreement. This creates an absurd situation, the columnists argue, whereby a sovereign state risks being forced to submit to the will of individual companies, in this case, energy companies. Created in the 1990s to guarantee the West access to energy after the fall of the Berlin Wall, the ECT is a treaty from another era, the editorial reads, incompatible with the current emergency and with international commitments such as the Paris Agreement or the European Green Deal. Moreover, the ECT does not guarantee security of energy supply as the EU's main fossil energy supplier countries are not bound by the ECT. The legal means to disable the treaty exist, the researchers conclude, now only the political will is missing. Despite European efforts to expand the use of renewable energy sources, we still remain dependent on Russian gas. And it is precisely Russian gas supply problems that the next editorial published in Britain's The Financial Times newspaper focuses on. With the Kremlin shutting down the Nord Stream 1 pipeline, the energy standoff between Russia and Europe is reaching high noon. According to the editorial, Putin is hoping that European countries will prove less able to withstand soaring winter energy bills and possible shortages than Russia can withstand Western sanctions, thus reducing their support for Kiev. This is a battle that democratic Europe cannot lose, reads the editorial, which stresses that a collective approach to the problem is crucial. The energy crisis is intertwined with the ecological transition, as the higher the demand of gas remains, tighter the availability of alternative supplies, the higher the inflation and the deeper the economic costs. In conclusion, the various proposals, such as the gas price cap, will need to be combined with efforts to strengthen energy infrastructure to help balance supply and demand, and with coordination to prevent supply hoarding. 
The European Union's reaction to this convergence of crises, climate, inflation and energy, is also the subject of the next editorial, published by the Italian newspaper Corriere della Serra. For Daniel Manca on energy, a timid Europe is not needed. It is an extraordinary opportunity, the journalist says, that the EU is presented with, to show that not only does it exist, but that when faced with the umpteenth crisis in the span of a few weeks, it knows how to provide decisive answers. For Manka, the responsibility falls on the European Commission and the plan it will present this week. The path the Commission should follow must be the one indicated by the European public's demand for more integration among countries versus the prevalence of individual states' interests. At stake is the pragmatism that characterized the birth of the first embryos of Europe, the columnist concludes, associated with a path based on increasing integration. We follow the thread that has linked today's themes, namely inflation caused by the energy crisis, to arrive at today's last topic, the economic crisis. While we talked earlier about the effects of inflation on prices and thus directly on individual consumers and households, we now broaden our gaze to hear views on the broader scope of the economy in general. In this economic war, the federal government has focused almost exclusively on consumers for too long, is also the opinion of Ulrich Schaefer, author of the editorial published in the German newspaper Süddeutsche Zeitung. Contrary to the course of the ongoing war fought in Ukraine, in the economic war against the West, Putin has not retreated an inch. On the contrary, his forces are advancing. Indeed, rising bills are already putting thousands of businesses in trouble, which are now in danger of going bankrupt. Or to avoid shutting down for good, they will be forced to lay off a significant number of employees. The energy crisis is eating away at the economy, argues the German journalist. To avoid the worst, the economy needs a large rescue package, and quickly. Despite the consequences that incurring in more debt could have, according to Schaefer, this would be cheaper than a severe recession, in which tax revenues collapse and social spending increases massively. As with the coronavirus crisis, the editorial reads in conclusion, a reaction with a bang is needed. The economic crisis affects everyone, but with more or less severe effects. One of the segments of the population that has been struggling the most in recent years is young people. The next editorial takes us to Italy, to the pages of the newspaper La Repubblica. Journalist Beniamino Pagliaro starts from the current election campaign in Italy to talk about youth, politics and the economic crisis. It seems to be precisely young people who are the great absentees in the election campaign. There seems to be no explicit reference to what the country should become in the coming decades and how Italians who are now 20, 30 or 40 years old will live there. According to data from the Ministry of Labour, it would seem that young people are one of the groups that needs help the most. Indeed, 13% of young Italian workers are at risk of poverty, earning less than 876 euros per month. Perhaps just as the energy crisis has forced us to diversify for real, 
a future pension crisis could force Italian politics to take care of young people. In Pagliaro's bitter observation, current pensions, the editorial concludes, are paid for precisely with the contributions of young, poor workers. Today's latest editorial comes from across the pond, and more specifically from the New York Times. For economist Paul Krugman, the consequences of Russia's cutting gas imports have created both an economic and social problem. Gas prices in Europe have skyrocketed, the economist writes. And as buyers turn to alternatives, prices of other energy sources have also risen. In addition, inequality should not be forgotten. Energy producers, whose costs have not risen, will reap huge profits, while many households and businesses will find themselves on the chopping block because of their bills. Continuing the spiral triggered by rising prices, unions could then demand wage increases to offset the soaring cost of living. This could create the macroeconomic risk of continued mutually increasing wages and prices. What, then, could the EU do? Krugman asks, what democracies always do when faced with wartime inflation? Try to protect the public from price increases and avoid extremely high profits at a time of public distress. Right now, it reads in closing, protecting families and preserving a sense of fairness have to take priority over textbook market efficiency. We end this fourth episode of the second season of The Window on the World. Thank you so much for following us and we look forward to seeing you next Friday, always with the best editorials from Europe and the world. This week's editorial work was edited by Daniel Rutza and at the microphone, it's me, your host, Gail Rago. See you next week.